Well, hello, all of our quality-minded listeners. A special shout-out to our Mayo Clinic Care Network members. And welcome to Key into Quality, a Mayo Clinic podcast focusing on healthcare quality, experience, and affordability trends and solutions. This podcast is intended to help you take some of those first steps towards understanding and improving quality challenges that might be happening in your organization. So thank you again for joining us. I'm Dr. Timothy Morgenthaler, a professor of medicine here at Mayo Clinic College of Medicine and Science, and I'm the vice chair for Mayo Clinic Quality. Co-hosting today is my colleague, Sherry Nemec. Sherry? Welcome to everyone joining us today for this conversation. I'm Sherry Nemec, Consultation Relationship Manager for Quality at Mayo Clinic. I'm looking forward to the conversation today related to patient and visitor misconduct. Yeah, Sherry. So you're right. Today, we're going to speak with one of our Mayo Clinic experts about what I think is a pretty hot topic, but let me stage it up just a bit. Today, the news is filled with all kinds of disturbing stories about what appears to be a truly terrible and despicable wave of verbal and physical abuse on airlines, often aimed at flight attendants. This is horrible. Since January 2021, the Federal Aviation Administration has received 2,500 or more reports of unruly behavior by passengers, a lot of which involves passengers refusing to comply with the federal mask mandate. There are all kinds of stories in the news. Some of them are minor and others are altercations between passengers and flight attendants that have become very physically violent. One of the videos I saw recently showed a a passenger punching a Southwest flight attendant so hard that two of her teeth fell out. Many flight attendants are quoted now as saying things like, you know, at this point, it's like, you know, I'm just trying to get through the day. I didn't come to work for this. That's actually a quote taken from an insider article from just last week. Unfortunately, this kind of issue is really not at all new to healthcare. Healthcare workers experience the most non-fatal workplace violence compared to every other profession in the United States by a wide margin. I'll bet you some of you are surprised to hear that. For example, in a 2014 survey, so this is quite a number of years ago, that involved an urban healthcare system with more than 5,000 nurses, do you know that 80% of the nurses reported being attacked on the job within one year of that survey? This is not new news to healthcare. We've been fighting this battle internally. Mayo Clinic has also seen an increase in violent acts against healthcare workers. We're not at all immune. This is not part of our job. This is not part of our nurses and our doctors and attendance jobs. And when we feel threatened, it is really not possible to provide the safest and most empathic care. So it's something that really needs to be addressed. Now, joining us today is Ben Hoagie. Ben is a senior advisor in the Office of Mayo Clinic Experience, and he supervises Mayo Clinic's patient and visitor conduct program. He's a counselor by training. He's a facilitator. And I think you're going to see he's an international keynote speaker of great merit, delivers learning experiences that really help leverage very practical and solution-focused strategies to these issues that we're talking about. His team facilitates a behavioral management process that's been developed and implemented at Mayo Clinic and he manages daily outreach and practice engagement that's related to exactly these issues. So we're really lucky to have him here today. And Ben, welcome. Thank you. Uh, And Sherry, thank you. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks so much. You know, before we get started on some of my prying questions, Ben, how long have you been at Mayo Clinic and what brought you here? Yeah, actually, you know, I've been at Mayo Clinic about nine years or so, and I started in the community practice, uh, the Mayo Clinic Health System in uh, one of the, the Wisconsin sites there, and actually started in uh, behavioral health, psychiatry and psychology. So I was a a case manager, I'm a therapist by training. uh, So I worked both inpatient and and outpatient behavioral health for a number of years before joining the Mayo Clinic Enterprise on the quality team. 
Well, we're so glad to have you. Now, I'm going to start off with a question that I've already kind of hinted around the, the edges regarding the answer, but I'll just ask you, why is patient visitor misconduct a salient issue in healthcare today? I mean, why is it so important these days? Dr. Morgenthal, you, you mentioned a couple of broader societal issues that we've been seeing, right, with, with the airline industry and some other service industries as well, where we are seeing a certain level of escalation on the part of customers when they're interacting with certain services. As you said, though, what's unique about healthcare is that actually, from our perspective, this has been getting worse for a long time. At Mayo Clinic, our primary value of, of the needs of the patient come first, uh, at times, perhaps, has sometimes limited our response to inappropriate patient behavior. But, you know, I'm, I'm pleased to share that uh, we are taking steps to make this better for Mayo Clinic employees, and we believe it's an issue that every healthcare institution should be looking at. What really makes it salient present day, I, th I think, is significant increases just over the past couple of years. We know that it's been getting misconduct and bias uh, have been a growing concern in healthcare, both patient bias and caregiver bias. And at Mayo Clinic, we've seen our, our instances of misconduct, assault, bias uh, increase pretty significantly over the past two years. To the extent that we've actually created some new programs, the Patient Visitor Conduct Program, namely, to try to address this. Another thing that really gets to me is, is it's not just the prevalence, because every institution is going to have a certain level of misconduct, violence, whatever it is. If you're a large healthcare institution, you're dealing with complex patients with complex needs, there's going to be some conflict in volatile behavior. But when we've surveyed our staff here at, at Mayo Clinic, we found that just under 20% of them had experienced misconduct to the extent that they had actually thought about leaving their department or leaving Mayo Clinic. Whoa. So, yeah, that's a big number. We need that to, is a big number, and it's worrisome. It is worrisome. One in yeah. four of our care team members, and that, that, in, that survey included uh, physicians, other provider staff, nurses, allied health staff, everybody from the EVS staff that are keeping our, our rooms sterile for our patients, all the way up to our, our physician leaders who experience misconduct themselves. Wow. So, uh, I mean, if, if we had that number of people actually leaving, on a regular basis, it would be very hard to maintain the expertise that we have and continue with a you know safe culture as people would have to constantly be a turnover into, into our workforce. And that's just not a healthy thing. So what is Mayo Clinic doing to address all of this behavior and support our coworkers? From my perspective, Mayo Clinic is actually doing a great job in, in terms of responding to a patient or visitor violence towards our staff members, our students, and other patients. Mayo Clinic is a very, very safe place. So I just want to emphasize that right off the bat. But we do see some 1.5 or so million unique patients every year. And with that many interactions with humans, right, there are going to be situations that come up. So what we're, we're doing at Mayo Clinic is we're investing in everything on, on that when we think about behavior on a spectrum, we're investing in everything from passive weapons detection on the security end to what my program is a little bit more concerned about, which is when our patients say something or do something that is disrespectful, derogatory, or discriminatory towards our staff, we back up our employees and say, set a boundary and expectation. We're going to record that this event occurred, and we're potentially going to put some institutional consequences in place to really hopefully help persuade that patient to adjust their behavior. Elaborate on that just a little bit. What I think I'm hearing, and I just kind of want you to confirm or improve upon my comment here is, I think anybody who looks at a patient who suddenly uh, slugs somebody would say, well, that's really inappropriate. But I think what I hear you saying is that often before that happens, there's other small acts of aggression or misbehavior that are sort of warning signs. And what you're 
really advocating and trying to train our coworkers to do is to be aware, notice that, and begin to intervene at an earlier stage. Am I kind of catching the drift of that right? You absolutely are. One big challenge for our employees, and, and I would say for, for humans in general, is we, we detest conflict, right? Or we, we often try to avoid conflict. And the same is true and then some for healthcare workers. When we think about, you know, the flight attendants who say, I didn't sign up for this, right? That's absolutely true. And it's true in healthcare to an extent too, but an unfortunate side effect of having a lot of empathy and really being committed to meeting the needs of this patient in front of you is that sometimes you do ignore or redirect behavior that you really should adjust. We're not only grappling with behavior, but we're challenging our staff to say, hey, if this wouldn't be okay out on the street or at home with your family, it's not okay here. So we wanna hold our patients to the same behavioral standards that they would experience anywhere else. And our staff have struggled with that a little bit, especially when we're talking about the, the yelling, the swearing, disrespectful, inappropriate jokes, sexual comments, things like that. I can see that so clearly when you say it, because you know, I think in healthcare, our natural bent is we are empathizing with patients. We know they wouldn't be in front of us if they weren't suffering, if they weren't ill, if they maybe weren't themselves, you know, so to speak. And so I think it's a real natural tendency to try to expand ourselves and to accommodate those aberrations of behavior. But what you're saying is that in the process of doing that, we're kind of setting ourselves up for escalation of bad behavior. Absolutely. One of two things is going to happen if I don't address a behavior like that. It's going to continue, most likely, or it could even get worse. And I'm, I'm really saddened to share this, but we have uh, numerous examples of instances where, let's say, a, a patient made a sexual comment early in a hospitalization or something like that. Over the course of that hospitalization, we've seen that behavior escalate all the way up to physical groping or assaults on our staff. Numerous examples of smaller behaviors growing over time when they weren't addressed and when boundaries and expectations weren't set, actually resulting in harm to another person. So it's really about clarifying, setting expectations with this patient helps that patient learn how to interact with our teams. But additionally, it's potentially protecting someone else who might care for this person mm -hmm. down the road. You know, the way that you're training our coworkers to respond when they start noticing that, you know, so first of all, it's about kind of sensitizing our antenna to know when hey, this is more dangerous than you should really permit. And I love what you said about if it wouldn't be acceptable in your home or on the street, it shouldn't be here either. So I, I think that's a great analogy. At least I just learned from you there. But okay, let's say I recognize that. What are you telling me I should do now? Depending on the type of, of behavior, right? Well, we, one thing we don't do is we don't tell our staff members that let's say they're in a situation that is physically unsafe. They feel as though this person's volatile enough that I'm afraid that if I intervene or say something, they're gonna physically hurt me or someone around them. In those cases, we actually train people not to intervene, but to retreat, right? Leave the room, rally support, secure your safety before you address that behavior. But in all other situations, and all these situations are really uncomfortable, right? It's not easy to tell Mr. Smith that his sexual comments are inappropriate. That's awkward, makes me anxious, but it's, it's not unsafe in a lot of situations. So we're really asking our staff, if it's unsafe, leave, get the support you need. But if it's just one of those uncomfortable situations, stop what you're doing, right? And tell Mr. Smith, Mr. Smith, you're making sexual comments that are making it really difficult for me to, to meet your needs today. They're inappropriate and I want you to stop. We tell our staff, you are empowered to say that to any patient, regardless of, of who they are and ask them to cease that behavior. Additionally, departments are empowered to apply consequences if that patient doesn't comply with, with that request. 
So Ben talked about a wide range of behaviors and sort of responses for that. And unfortunately, sometimes those behaviors do escalate and are truly unacceptable for being at Mayo Clinic anymore. And so I know sometimes patient care is terminated uh, and they can't be seen at Mayo Clinic. And so what, what does that process look like? First, I want to emphasize that when we talk about terminate, our goal at Mayo Clinic is not to terminate patient care, right? Our goal is not to punish. Our goal is not to do any of those things. Our goal is to meet the needs of those patients that we're working with. Occasionally, a patient's behavior will get in the way of us being able to meet their needs. And in those cases, we we can terminate that patient's care, which basically means, and, and Mayo Clinic's a, a big institution with sites in Arizona, Florida, Abu Dhabi, right? We have a lot of uh, reach at Mayo Clinic. And if your care is terminated from any location, that is going to be enforced across all Mayo Clinic sites. So your behavior in Rochester, you're going to be held accountable for that behavior when you're in Arizona or Florida as well. Uh, so the process is when, when a patient engages in a behavior that we feel is not appropriate, hopefully the frontline staff working or the provider working with that patient can correct that behavior in the moment. They'll report that to my team and we create a body of evidence about that event that then can be used in the future if, if more events come up. Sometimes we'll send what's called a behavior warning letter, and that is basically just saying, hey, Mr. Smith, here's the behavior we saw when you were here. Here's what we expect moving forward. Failure to follow our our policies may result in your care being terminated at Mayo Clinic. After that written warning has been sent, any further violations or, or continued behavior is likely going to result in permanent discontinuation of care. Two really important pieces. One is that you can always come to an ED at Mayo Clinic, right? Right, right. Uh, and tell a law and all that. Yeah. Of course, there are times too where a patient's acute medical or surgical needs will mean that we are going to care for them even though they are terminated. Their status is terminated. But as soon as they're out of the woods or, or they're no longer in acute danger, they are going to be transferred and they're not going to have access to outpatient services at Mayo Clinic. Yeah, mm-hmm. so two things strike me on that. One is we have a very consistent process that allows our staff and our practice to be able to know when or when not to terminate patient care. And the other part is, is that it really gives patients many opportunities to learn and correct behavior before we would get to that, unless it's very egregious, so. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that, Sherry, because it is, you know, our goal not being to terminate care. You know, over 90% of those final warnings, so that's the last step before termination, in over 90% of those cases, in the 12 months following the receipt of that letter, that patient doesn't engage in any behavior that would result in their termination. So. Not all patients, right, even with warnings, will stop their behavior, but many of them will over time. So I'm glad you mentioned that because it's important. Again, goal is not to terminate care. The goal is to correct the behavior. As you were talking about this and Sherry's comments, you know, sort of emphasize this. So I'm just imagining in terms of institutional leadership, there really seems like there needs to be a resolve to stick with the plan. And the other thing that strikes me and I'm going to ask you about is for individuals to have the courage to speak out and know that there's going to be a plan following them, they need confidence in that leadership. But what else do we do to support those employees who are speaking out? Like, I'm, I'm going to guess, I'm, I'm sure this never happens when the patient speaks up and says, you know, Mr. Jones said X, Y, Z. I'm guessing that maybe sometimes Mr. Jones' version of the story is a little different. But what do we do to support our employees? Yeah, so you've done a really good job of emphasizing the complexity of these issues. And as you'd imagine, as you just mentioned, when we do set expectations with our patients, 
they can escalate a little bit. They can push back. In fact, they can complain. They can go to our office of patient experience and file some kind of complaint about the care they received as, as a way to push back a little bit. And that's okay. In fact, we manage our patient experience and grievance process very separate from behavior management. So that even let's say that you're a patient who's had behavior management or had your care terminated, you can still go to OPX, the Office of Patient Experience, and have your concerns heard and investigated. So we don't get in the way of that process. We do see that behavior management and grievance overlap about 22% of the time. So that's a good percentage of, of those patients who have behavior management concerns also have some kind of grievance about the care they received. Right. Um, so it's not an either or. It's, it's really, it can, be an, yeah. it can be a both and. You know, that Absolutely. yes, there were opportunities where we could have served them better and their response to that situation or whatever is inappropriate. Absolutely. Yeah, we get a mix of there was a genuine service failure. Something went wrong and that patient was upset and expressed that in a way that was not okay. That doesn't give them the excuse to behave the way they did, but it doesn't give us the excuse not to mm. learn from that service failure as well. So sometimes it's, it's a reaction like, I'm mad that you sent me this letter and so I'm going to complain. Other times it, it is genuinely two different perspectives of the same event and a lot of emotion, which we see in healthcare. One question I have for you. So I know this has been a really important issue for Mayo Clinic and they've put resources towards helping develop your team and create this program so that we have something that we can follow. So, but what if I'm an organization where I'm just starting out in this space and trying to figure out how to create our own program or policies? What advice might you have for them and where to start? Excellent question. And, and you know, we've certainly failed a few times along the way in this process. And I wouldn't even call it failing. Doing any work in this area is better than doing no work. I just want to emphasize that. And every time we've committed resources to helping our security teams manage physically violent events or propping up the patient visitor conduct program to better partner with the practice to go through policies and, and make sure that we're there to support them when things go wrong, you could start in any of those spaces. But the one thing I wish we had done a better job of earlier on is really seeking out the voice of those employees to a greater degree than we have. And, and we're continuously using things like anonymous surveys, focus groups, use some strategy at your organization to elicit the experiences, hear the voice of your employees, because they're going to tell you what's going on, right? Make it okay for them to share with you what they're experiencing every day. And that's it. Hear them out. You can figure out what to do after you've, you've heard the, the voice of the employee. Ben, this is a huge topic and we, I wish we had a little longer to explore it. Maybe we'll come back at it again in the future, but you've got this program that has been put together uh, over time. It's uh, pretty extensive at Mayo. I think everyone that I've ever bumped into at Mayo is aware of this program. We're certainly you know, feeling more and more empowered to speak up about inappropriate patient or visitor or coworker behavior issues. We haven't really spent much time talking about that, but I know that's part of this. We're empowering our employees and sensitizing them to please speak up. There should be an expectation for them that, yep, my leaders have my back on this. There's something is going to happen as a result of me speaking up and that whatever happens is going to be fair. I'm not going to be judged inappropriately, I hope. I mean, I think they have confidence in that. What would you say are the other key components of this program? Are there physical aspects of it, environmental aspects of it? You know, what are the other kind of key components here? With physical spaces, we, we tend to defer to our global security teams that, that really manage the physical spaces. That's not our expertise, but our expertise is, is on basically everything else that is not physically violent. And some of the strategies that, that we have found you know, most effective 
I'm just going to reemphasize, I know you said in, in addition to kind of leadership support and things like that, but leadership support immediately that reporters or the victims, uh, immediate supervisor is the one factor that is going to most determine whether or not that person speaks up and whether or not they report. We were surprised at how significant that could emphasize or influence employee behavior. Uh, yeah. A few other things, though, that, that are worth considering, uh, you need policies, right, that are actually when those employees go out and look at them or hear about them, that they truly do provide the coverage and support that they need. Additionally, I think it's important for us to have a feedback loop with the frontline employees. So to give you an example of how we've accomplished this, and there's a lot of ways to do that, but we have reporting forms. People can call us, they can email us, or they can fill out a, a reporting form online. When they fill out that form uh, and they submit it, they're actually going to get an automated email that says, hey, we got this. A real human is going to look at what you just sent us. And if you want us to reach out to you about this event, click here, right? And so we will follow up 100% of the time, typically within 24 or 48 hours with that employee to say, you deserve respect. I'm sorry this happened to you. Here's how we can help. We've seen an explosion of frontline staff and physicians actually reporting directly to us about the events that they're experiencing because they're, they know they're going to hear something back. So that's an important component as well. Yeah, that closed the loop is so important for people. Feel yeah. Unfortunately, I think we're coming to the end of our podcast time. This has been so helpful and informative. I hope that our listeners are able to glean some important lessons from this. I know that if they're a Mayo Clinic Care Network member, they can reach out to us and uh, we'll be glad to offer additional assistance or copies of those policies and so forth. Thank you so much, Ben. I think there's so much deeper water here we could dive into at another time about how we handle actual violence, how we handle coworker inappropriate behaviors and so forth. And I think those would be great topics for a future conversation. So thank you so much. Yep. Thanks, um, Ben. So again, Mayo Clinic's Key into Quality podcast aims to help you take some of those first steps to address important quality challenges in your organization. The development of this podcast is really part of our effort to be a valued resource to healthcare organizations striving to improve. Our goal is to improve quality for patients and the populations that we all serve. So please let us know if you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, let others in your organization know so that the information can be spread or give us some feedback. Thank you again. And until next time, goodbye.